1 Corinthians chapter 12, and here's what we're going to do. We're just going to talk about a couple of the gifts tonight. Last week, we did sort of an introduction to the gifts, and again, it was kind of foundational and important. If you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to get the CDs. Maybe we can make some uh, CDs available tonight for people to get. And so we've had our introduction, and what we're going to do here for the rest of our time together this summer is just discuss a couple of the gifts, a gift or two, each week when we come together. You know, and then we'll see what the Lord does. We'll continue to have our time of, of waiting on the Lord. And, and that's one of the things that we're going to do this evening is we're going to grow as a church in the area of waiting on the Lord. You know, as, as a pastor, I look at our church and I see areas that we're strong in and areas that we're not as strong in. And you see the same thing, you know, and we don't nitpick the church because we are the church. And, you know, it's not healthy to really nitpick yourself. And we don't nitpick the church, really. But, you know, we're strong in some areas and there's other areas where, well, I, I just think we need to grow. And I think one of the areas that we really need to grow is just waiting on the Lord. I need to grow in my personal life with regards to really waiting on the Lord. I think as a church we need to, just because it's something we've never really practiced. You know, there's always been some other distraction if you didn't want to wait. There was always music or this or that or the other. And so tonight we're not going to have any music during the afterglow time, you know. Uh, we're not going to turn the lights off during the afterglow time. We're just going to wait on the Lord. And I want you guys, I want us to learn to become comfortable with corporate silence. To learn to become comfortable with corporate silence, with being able to just be quiet, to be still and know that He is God. I want us to not rush into having to say something. Now let's be honest, there is that impulse, isn't there? Uh Uh-oh, it's quiet, that must mean that this isn't going well. So often we think that. We think, oh, it's that awkward silence. And it's because American Christianity has been pretty well programmed to have a service that is continually moving. And we do the same thing here. And we can't really slow it down. It's already two full hours on Sunday. You know what I mean? So uh, we're going to have to resist the temptation to think that silence is bad. That something is failing or not working because we're quiet. We're going to have to resist that. And I want us all in our time of waiting on the Lord after the short message to resist the temptation to say something, you know, just really ask the Lord, okay, Lord, I feel like maybe you have something for me to say. Is this the time? Is it right now? Often I find that timing is where we're not really that good, you know what I mean? We often know the right thing to do, but timing is very key, isn't it? Read the Bible. Timing is very important throughout the Bible. And so we're just going to practice tonight a little bit really waiting, which means listening, which means listening. We're going to try to have a two-sided conversation with the Lord tonight. Often, we're pretty good at praying at reality, and we just pray, 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 kind of a one-sided conversation. You ever been in a conversation with somebody where they do all the talking? It gets old pretty quick. So tonight, we're going to say, hey, Lord, you do the talking. And we're going to get real quiet, and we're going to see what happens. Maybe we're just going to be quiet for a long time. Maybe the Lord will speak. But tonight, we're going to talk about two particular gifts, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. The reason that we're doing those two gifts tonight is because they happen to be the first two that are listed here in 1 Corinthians 12. So we read this passage last week, but let's just start reading in 1 Corinthians 12, 4. It says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So we want to talk briefly about those two gifts, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. What are they? Word of Wisdom, found a good uh, definition of it from one of my favorite authors this week. His name is J. Oswald Sanders. He's got some really great books. Anything you see by him comes highly recommended by me. And he had this definition of the Word of Wisdom. It says, The word or utterance of wisdom is the outcome of direct insight into spiritual truth. The knowledge of God and His ways. Now here's the crux of it. Which comes not so much from study as from communion. Not so much from study as from communion. You guys know what wisdom is in general. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. 
Somebody could have a lot of knowledge and no wisdom and make a real mess in life. You know what I mean? Somebody could be a genius and not have any wisdom and things don't go so well. Conversely, someone could have just a very little bit of knowledge, but a tremendous amount of wisdom and and do some wonderful things and make some great decisions. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Wisdom is the application of those facts. Now, word of wisdom is a little bit specific. It varies from just general wisdom, which would be the application of facts you know, to our lives and, and other instances. It's not general wisdom. If somebody is functioning in the gift of word of wisdom, it doesn't mean that they have just a reservoir of wisdom. And then anytime you could go to them and go, oh, wise one, give me insight for this situation. And they can just flow forth the wisdom of God at any time. That's not what it is. It's a specific word for a specific need or moment. Okay, it's not general wisdom. General wisdom is good and awesome and biblical. If you need it, James chapter 1 says you ought to ask for it. We all need it. And and, and the Proverbs says that we ought to be seeking after wisdom. And that's the beginning of the fear of God. And we ought to be pursuing wisdom. But this is particular wisdom for a particular instance or moment or need within the body of Christ. Now remember, it's a gift of the Spirit. So it comes from the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit knows what the need is for the moment. And we're told in the book of Corinthians that the Holy Spirit searches the mind of God. And so the Holy Spirit knows God's will for the moment. And so the Holy Spirit reveals that to the church through a person. The Holy Spirit will give a utterance or a word that will be wise or contain wisdom that will bring direction to the church. Insight for living for a, a brief moment, an instant, perhaps a problem, or, or, or a broader thing that the church is confronting. Let's look at an example of the word of wisdom functioning in Acts chapter 6. Go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, the church is still very young and they're just trying to kind of get their gig together. You know what I mean? They've had um, <clears throat> well over 10,000 converts in, in the first few weeks of the church. And so it's, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a quickly growing church and they've got some things to figure out. And we begin to read in Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. That's church life. On the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. Hellenistic Jews were uh, Jews who were more Greek in culture than Jews that were more Hebraic in culture. But Jews nonetheless. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. One of the primary occupations of the early church was caring for widows and orphans in their distress. And the, the Greek Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, felt like they were being discriminated against somehow, that their widows weren't getting the same care as the native Hebrew Jews. And so there was a, a complaint that came to the leaders of the church. Verse 2. And the twelve, that is the twelve disciples, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5 is crucial. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. So here we see a word of wisdom functioning in this. There is a problem facing the church. Remember, the spiritual gifts are for the building up of the church, right? They're supernatural enablings to meet overwhelming needs. This was an overwhelming circumstance. There were a lot of widows. There were a lot of needs. And the people came to the disciples, and no doubt what the disciples did was seek the Lord. Lord, what should we do? And it's very apparent that they themselves, the apostles, were running themselves ragged each day trying to feed the widows. And so the Holy Spirit gave them a word of wisdom as to what the church should do. Apostles, 
You guys should now concentrate on prayer and the ministry of the word. On prayer and teaching the word. But ministering to widows is very important. So look for some men, seven men, who have a good reputation, who are full of the spirit of God and of wisdom themselves, and put them in charge of it. What did this enable the church to do? This enabled the church to grow. The widows continued to get fed. More people were involved in the ministry and the apostles were enabled to do that which was most important for their role in the body, which was to pray and to teach the word. And that was, I believe, a word of wisdom from the Holy Spirit. What are we going to do? We're not exactly sure what to do. And the Holy Spirit gives wisdom. Now, here's how you know it's a word of wisdom. Because it says there in verse 5, and this found approval with the whole congregation. You see, when it's wisdom from God, everyone goes, oh yeah, right on. That is so right on. That is great. The church of God says that. The world's not going to say that. The the charlatans within the body aren't going to say that. But those who are born in the Spirit of God say, oh yes, that is right on. That'll be the confirmation if it's a word of wisdom. It's just an aptly spoke word where everyone could go, great. Now we as a church or as individual members thereof can move ahead. I recently had a word of wisdom for our church that affects our church on a broad scale. It was having to do with a budgetary item. It was having to do uh, with, with how we allocate our funds. And you know, as a church, we have a calling on us to plant other churches. And we planted Reality Los Angeles, who, by the way, is looking at planting two other churches, one in another country and one in Southern California. And, uh, and we're planting Reality Stockton in just a few weeks now. And we now have our third reality church planner who has just moved here from Bakersfield, him and his wife, uh, to be a part of our you know, church planning gig. And we'll go out in the, in the months and years to come. So we didn't have an allocated portion of our budget set aside for church planning. The funding was just coming out of the general budget. And, and it's a big expense, you know what I mean? When we somewhat send someone out to church, uh, plan a church, we pay their salary, any support staff salary, their medical benefits, their rent, their first, their last, rent on the building, sound equipment, children's ministry equipment, trailers to haul the equipment around. We fully finance our church plants. And we finance them for as long as necessary until they can get on their feet. Because remember, what God has called us to do is birth churches. And when you birth a child, you nurture that child until they are able to stand on their own two feet. So we don't put a time limit on it. That's asinine. It's a child. You let them grow. And and so we just let them grow. And when they're ready, then we let them stand on their own two feet and they become uh, financially independent, which Reality Los Angeles is just about to do, just in time for Reality Stockton. So it costs us, you know, several thousand dollars a month to plan a church for an undetermined amount of time. And... um, I begin to seek the Lord because we have 10% of our budget right off the top that goes to missions. That's what we do. All the money that comes in, 10% goes directly to missions. And I'll tell you the truth. We, as a church, we can't spend it all on missions. We've been trying desperately to spend it all on missions and we're just not able to. And we've been carrying a balance of like fifty dollars or $60,000 all the time, no matter how much we spend of all this extra money. But it's allocated just for missions. Meanwhile, the general fund was under tremendous strain because we were paying out thousands of dollars a month to church planning. And September is coming up when I give the staff raises and I wanted to give the staff raises and we have a lot of building fund of expenses and we're growing so on and so forth. We need to buy all new children's classroom stuff. And so there was just a big strain on the general fund. And so I was in the shower one day, which is where God always speaks to me in the shower. I don't know why that is. You're naked before the Lord or something. I don't know why it is. But I was in the shower and, and I was just thinking about the budget of the church and just sort of lightly praying. And it just hit me like a bolt of lightning that we were to reallocate 
some of the funds that we've dedicated towards international missions to church planning. We were to take now 5% of all of our income and give that to church planning, the other 5% to international missions. International missions still has more money than they know what to do with. And now we have money allocated for church planning. We no longer have a bunch of money sitting around in the bank doing nothing. And there's more money in the general fund for local outreach and hiring other staff and building the church right here. And so the Lord gave me that, and I knew it was a word of wisdom because I've received word of wisdoms before. And I said, thank you, Lord. That's exactly what we need to do as a church. It's going to allow our missions to continue to grow. It's going to allow our church planning to grow. It's going to allow our staff to grow and our facilities and our needs here to grow all in one fell swoop. That wasn't me. That was the Spirit of God coming and meeting the needs of the church of God. Now, just as a side note, I then applied some conventional wisdom to that. In order to implement that, I just can't implement that in and of myself. I don't rule this church like a king. I'm a part of a team. And so in order to implement that, it had to receive unanimous approval from the staff as well as unanimous approval from the church's board of directors. And so I took it before them, but I'll tell you what I did not do. I didn't tell them that it was a word of wisdom because I didn't want them to feel coerced. And I don't want them to just follow me blindly and say, well, Brit here is from the Lord always and he's infallible. And if he says it's a word of wisdom, it's got to be. I wanted to be checked and I wanted to be balanced. So I told them, here's where I think the Lord may be leading. Here's the idea that I have. You guys pray. And everybody on the staff had to pray and seek the Lord. Everybody on the, on the uh, board of trustees or board of directors had to pray and seek the Lord and come to the conclusion for themselves that that was indeed the wisdom of God. And we do things unanimously. And so the staff was unanimous after prayer and the board of trustees was unanimous. And then we could come together and I could say, ah, it was the Lord, da, da, da. But that's how we do things here at the church. You see, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. We want to be led by Jesus Christ. We don't want to be ruled by men. God entrusts men with authority and oversight. But those men are to be submitted to the Spirit of God and to have their ears tuned to hearing the voice of God. Excuse me. So there's an example uh, of a word of wisdom. Another one happened uh, the other day. There was someone here at church on a Sunday service and um, I didn't know that they were here. I later found out that they, this happens in the church. I hope I don't flip anybody out. I, I later found out that they were here. I'm fully convinced by the leading of the enemy to mess up Thursday nights, what we were going to do here, to just come and confuse and confound things. Come on, let's not be naive. The Lord is doing a great work here. You think the enemy's not going to come against it? The Lord has his army. You don't think the enemy has his? And so Pastor G and I always stand over here right before announcements, you know what I mean? And, and um, we were going to announce the Thursday night service and what it was going to be about. We were going to announce, hey, we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit and having afterglows. And G is just about to go to the stage and I grabbed him. I said, G, do not tell the congregation what Thursday nights is about. Do not tell them. He goes, what do you mean? They're going to be excited. Let's do it. I said, and he goes, Okay. We have that relationship. We know when the Lord is speaking. I didn't know why at the time. I just knew that we were not supposed to announce the subject matter for Thursday nights. And so G then came right up and we had been planning to announce the subject matter. And he just said, hey, we're going to have Thursday night services. There's going to be food and then there's going to be a time of praising the Lord and teaching so on and so forth. And it just so happens that our flyers that were supposed to be ready for that week, we didn't get them ready for that week either. The person was exposed. The person was exposed later on that week and we removed them from the church. And then that following week, we were able to announce in full assurance that we were all going to be on the same page. Hey, here's what we're going to be doing is seeking the Lord and the gifts of the spirit. We're going to let those flow and have an afterglow. It was a word of wisdom right there during the church service. You see, it's Jesus Christ looking out for the church. This is not the time to announce that. No, who, no, no one could have known that naturally. That was the Holy Spirit of God. Oftentimes a word of wisdom, a lot of this is a testimony because I don't know how it functions in your life, so I'm just telling you how it functions in my life. If somebody has a testimony, you can give it. Another way that often functions in my life, word of wisdom, is when people ask me Bible questions, um, especially non-believers. They'll ask me a Bible question, and oftentimes 
I don't know the answer, but my mouth just starts going. And this answer comes out that is just brilliant. (laughs) And I know it's not me. That was a word of wisdom from the Lord as to how to answer that. Because you see, the gifts are for the building up of the church. And the church is built up when members are added. And members are added when they're snatched from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. And so you can be sure that when you're evangelizing people, the Holy Spirit of God is going to give you what you need. And so he's given me words of wisdom in that moment. And he's done it with believers as well. When they ask me a, a certain question, I don't know the answer. And oftentimes if I don't know, I'll just say, I don't know. But other times it just is there and you just give it forth. You guys know what I'm talking about? Word of wisdom. It's pretty cool. And what's really neat about the word of wisdom is, is that it operates in a, a, a very natural way. It's supernatural, but it happens in a natural way. I'll bet that many of you have had words of wisdom and you didn't even know it. Because it's not a, thus saith the Lord sort of thing. You know what I mean? You don't have to go up and down in your voice and get all emotional and strange about it. That's, that's usually you know, the flesh. I I just find that when it's the spirit, it's just supernaturally natural. You know, I mean, God's not, God's not weird. People are. People are weird. And so I bet you a lot of times you guys have had words of wisdom and you just didn't realize what they were, but something came forth. It might've been for your family. You know what I mean? It might've been for your Bible study. It might've just been in life in general, but it was just that wisdom and, and the effect that it would have is it would encourage and edify and build up the body of Christ, which is the ministry of the gifts. And, and all those in the body heard it and said, oh yeah, that's good. That is right on. That is right on. So that's the word of wisdom. Make sense? Any questions about the word of wisdom? Okay. Word of knowledge. Definition from one author right here. Word of knowledge is information given to us supernaturally. Knowledge of things that we could not know through natural acquisition or study. It is a divine impartation of knowledge concerning a person or situation that could not come through natural thought processes. So, it's all of a sudden having knowledge that you could not have attained by natural means. You didn't get this knowledge through studying. You didn't get this knowledge through observation. You didn't get this knowledge because someone else told you, but rather for a specific reason, the Spirit of God told you something and you just knew it. Elisha, Elisha, not Elijah, apparently functioned uh, in this ministry of the Spirit quite frequently. Turn to 2 Kings 6 and we'll see an example. Second Kings chapter six. Second Kings six. You guys have read this already this year in your one year Bible reading. Starting in verse eight. Second Kings six verse eight. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel. And he counseled with his servants saying, in such and such a place shall be my camp. He's telling his, you know, generals and stuff. Here's where we're going to be camped out at. And the man of God, this is Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Arameans are coming down there. So somehow Elisha knew, and Elisha's with Israel, knew where the enemy's camp, the Arameans, would be camping and told, it says they're the king of Israel. Verse 10. And so the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told them. Thus he warned him so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Verse 11. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which one of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, who's the spy? Every time we make a move, Israel knows where we're going. They know what valley we're going to be camped in. They know when we're picking up camp. They know where we're going to be. He calls his generals and says, who's the spy? Verse 12, and one of his servants said, no, my lord, O king, 
But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Elisha had knowledge that could not have been attained through natural means. There wasn't a spy in the camp. There wasn't a mole. The Spirit of God revealed information to the people of God that they might overcome the enemy of God's people. And so Elisha here is functioning in words of knowledge. The Lord would tell him at a certain time, here's where the, the, the Arameans are going to be camped. He would tell Israel and it would allow Israel to stay one step ahead of the enemy. It would allow Israel to get the victory. Now, this didn't happen with Elisha just because he was a prophet. He didn't know all things. Because someone was a prophet doesn't mean they know all things. That's Jesus. They don't know all things. For example, turn to 2 Kings 4. 2 Kings 4. In 2 Kings 4, there's a Shunammite woman, and she had a son. Elisha prophesied that she would have a son, and she had the son. And the son got sick and uh, died, and Elisha would raise him from the dead in the, at the end of chapter 4. But I want you to see where she comes to tell Elisha about the sick child, and Elisha didn't know what was going on. So Second Kings 4, verse 27. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for her soul is troubled within her. Look. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So he was kind of surprised that he didn't receive a word of knowledge at this time. He didn't know all things. He didn't know what everybody needed at every time. It was only when the Lord revealed. Remember, the gifts are subject to the Spirit of God. He gives them at a certain time. And, and so... The word of knowledge, each one of them that is received is a separate act of God. When someone has the word of knowledge, it's for that moment, it was that particular word. It doesn't mean that they always have words of knowledge. Someone may be given that gift frequently, but it's kind of different from like the gift of teaching. If you have the gift of teaching, you know what I mean? You move in that gift continually. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge are a little different. They're for the moment. Someone has a word of knowledge that you don't go to them and they have knowledge about everything all the time. Exemplified, exemplified by the fact that Elisha knew about the Aramean camp, but he didn't know about the Shunammite woman. So there we see in the Old Testament, uh, word of knowledge functioning. And the, goal, the, the, the beauty of it was it helped Israel to overcome her enemies. What about in Caesarea Philippi in Matthew chapter 16? Caesarea Philippi, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? Well, some, of you say, some people say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're the prophet, and some say this and that and the other. And then he says to Simon, to Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says something he's never said before. He says, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And what Jesus says in verse 17 is enlightening. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Peter, you just attained knowledge that could not have been attained through natural means. You didn't study it. Nobody told you except for God himself. That was him receiving a word of knowledge. And from that declaration, the church was then built up. The church was built up from that place of Caesarea Philippi. Acts chapter 5, we see word of knowledge working with Peter again. Go to Acts 5 if you would. Acts chapter 5, this is kind of a gnarly example, but it is a word of knowledge. Acts chapter 5 verse 1, but a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. 
and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, the implication here is that Ananias and Sapphira sold this property. The implication is that they brought it to the apostles' feet, pretending, feigning that they were giving all of the proceeds to the apostles, to the church. They didn't have to do that. Nobody told them to do that. Nobody told them to do that. But they said, we want to do something awesome for the church. Let's sell this property and give all the money to the church. Now, who knows what happened? Maybe it was an economy like ours was last summer, and the place sold for way more than they thought, you know what I mean? Or something like that, and they're like, okay, well, maybe we don't give all the money to the church, you know, maybe just a little bit. But there was deceit in their hearts, okay? They were pretending like they were giving everything, but they were only giving a portion. Which if they had just come and said, hey, we're just giving you a little bit, everything would have been cool. But there was deceit. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not under your control? You could do anything you wanted, he says. Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men arose and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the lamb for such, a, such, a, such and such a price. And she said, yep, that was the price. In other words, he was testing her, the price that Ananias had given to him. And Peter said to her, verse 9, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Wow. That's a gnarly passage. It's not my goal this evening to give an exposition of that passage. They lied to the Holy Spirit and God in his wisdom and his sovereignty at that moment, he took them out. Maybe for some of us, that's a check. I don't know. Maybe some of you are going to go see Jesus tonight. But the point is this. Very early on in the church, some people were trying to work deceit and it was satanic is what Peter had knowledge of. Why has Satan influenced you to do this? There was demonic deceit coming into the church and so the Spirit of God revealed it to the man of God, to the pastor, to the shepherd, to the apostle Peter and they were able to deal with the deception. The gifts are for the building up of the church. Part of how the word of knowledge will function in the church is to expose sin, to expose deceit, to expose demonic activity, to help expose for the purpose of weeding out of the church whatever shouldn't be there. This is a gnarly example, but isn't it wonderful that Jesus so looks out for his bride that he was willing to reveal and deal with what was going on there. Another example in Acts chapter 8, if you want to look at that one, Peter again, Peter got the gift word knowledge a bunch of times in Peter's. Now, what happens in Acts chapter 8 is that Peter and John go to Samaria. And, uh, well, we'll just read it. We'll start in verse 14, Acts 8, 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that spirit, okay, this is not Simon Peter, this is another Simon. When Simon saw that the spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, or pray and, uh, and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in bondage of iniquity. 
But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourself so that nothing of what you said may come upon me. So this guy came and he wanted the gifts or to be able to function in the gifts of laying on of hands for his own purposes, for his own exaltation, to meet his own needs. And Peter saw that he was bound up in bitterness or jealousy against those who were moving in the Spirit and doing the works of God. He saw that. In other words, that was revealed to him. He wasn't wearing a label, you know. Hey, here's what I'm doing. I've got bitterness in my heart and I want this glory for myself. He didn't have a label on. But Peter received supernatural knowledge about the condition of the man's heart. This is amazing when this happens. The Lord gives this gift because he loves people. Because he loves people. Oftentimes when I've been sitting in church, it used to happen to me very often when I would sit in church. Now I never get to sit in church anymore. But when I used to get and sit, sit in church, I used to get words of knowledge for the person in front of me. It happened at Calvary Chapel all the time when I went there. And the Lord would just tell me about the condition of this person's heart or something that was going on in their life. And I can't explain it to you. I just knew it. And for a long time, I ignored it. Because, you know, you're humble. The first thing you think is, why am I so wicked? I can't believe I'm thinking that about this person. I don't even know them. All I see is the back of their head. And I'm thinking that they have this sinfulness bound up in their heart or that they're engaged in this sort of immorality. And I can't believe I'm thinking this. And Brit, I rebuke you. I rebuke myself. What you, what's wrong with you? I think that's an okay response. The Holy Spirit was wanting to teach me about the gifts. And so really for a long time, I just blew it off and would just rebuke myself and say, but don't think those things about other people. And finally, you know, the, the Spirit of God, he's so kind to teach us. Finally, I begin to realize, hey, it's, it's not me. Through much prayer, it's not me. It's the Lord. And I can remember to this day the first time I stepped out in faith. I can remember the girl. I won't tell you her name. I can remember exactly what she was wearing and where we were sitting in the church. And I just leaned forward at, at, at a break in the service. I said, hey, I think the Lord has maybe possibly shown me. It wasn't a thus saith the Lord. Ah! It was just, hey, I, I think the Lord has shown me that. And I said it and she just went. <laughs> you talk about awkward silence. It was like death just fell in the room. Just, oh! And she just nodded. And I didn't really know what to do next. And so I kind of asked the Lord. And the Lord said, well, pray for her, dummy. Why do you think I told you? You think I told you so you could have fun? Pray for her. And so I prayed for her. And the intercession was effective in her life. Because it was led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God revealed that to me because she was needy. She was hurting. She was broken. She was caught up in some stuff. She was troubled. And Jesus wanted to set her free. And God loves to work through people, not independent of people. And so in his kindness, he allowed me to have that gift at that moment. And that woman was set free that evening from something. The Lord wants to do that same thing with you guys. The same sort of thing. And, and you know, it's usually going to bring comfort when it's from the Lord. It's not usually too accusatory. You know, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. This is in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit or, or the church moved in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the prophetic gifts are given to edify, to encourage, to comfort the body. And so it's usually not accusatory. It's usually kind, and it's for the purpose of ministering to that person, praying for that person. In Acts chapter 27, you know, Paul was on a ship that was going to be shipwrecked. And the Lord told them that none of the men would be lost, just the cargo and the ship. And the men were freaking out. And Paul was able to stand before the men and say, the Lord told me that you guys are going to be okay. Just stick with me here. Let's just stick with it. The Lord told me you guys are going to be okay. And it brought tremendous comfort to them. It was a word of knowledge. I really think the Lord wants this gift to abound in our church. I think he wants to give a lot of you words of knowledge for very instance, or certain instances at times. And the way it's going to function is like this. Number one, the word of knowledge helps God's people to get victory 
over the enemy. It helps God's people to get victory over the enemy. Number two, the word of knowledge helps in revealing spiritual truth or principles. Okay? Just like it did with Peter at Caesarea Philippi. That was an earth-shattering spiritual truth. Who do you say I am, Peter? You're the Messiah, the Son of God. It was a word of knowledge that revealed spiritual truth. Now, that spiritual truth is never going to be beyond the Bible or outside the Bible. It's always going to be consistent with the Bible or it's going to be directly from the word of God itself. So it helps God's people get the victory just like it did with Elisha and the Arameans. It reveals spiritual truth to the church just like it did with Peter or Caesarea Philippi. And also the word of knowledge is used for warning or exposing those living in rebellion to God's word. And as I said, often I found most usually the purpose is for prayer, that we might lovingly begin to intercede for a person that is hurting and needs help from the Lord. There's a danger with that gift is that when the Lord shows you that, you might develop a judgmental attitude. The Lord might just show you something going on in someone's life and you're like, oh, just dirty. Oh, what a cheesy Christian. Hey, listen, bro, look in the mirror. We need to really guard against our hearts. I think the Lord would have this gift abound if we would humble ourselves Remove the log from our eye first. You know, I believe the Lord would lovingly, kindly, sweetly purify the body a little bit with some words of knowledge. You need to judge against judgmentalism and you need to judge against a feeling of superiority. The Lord showed me something about you. You have that attitude. It might be the last time the Lord shows you something for a long time. There needs to be a lot of humility and love. And generally, it's for the reason of intercession. I never reveal to the person the word of knowledge I've been given unless I feel that the Lord really wants me to. I always ask the Lord first, what do I do with this information? I get words of knowledge frequently and I always ask the Lord, what do I do with this information? You guys have heard me speak words of knowledge hundreds of times from the pulpit. I don't preface them with this is a word of knowledge or this is prophetic. I just say it. And if it's really the Lord, everyone knows it's the Lord. I don't have to tell you it's the Lord. Right? If it's really the Lord, the bride goes right on. Yeah, that's the Lord. You know what I mean? You don't have to preface it with, you just say what it is and, and it's just supernaturally natural. But we really need to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Is this from you? What do you want me to do with this? We really also need to be mindful of the fact that Satan likes to mock, confuse, and accuse. Satan likes to mock, confuse, and accuse. Oftentimes after you give a word in a setting like this, you'll be real stoked here and you'll go home. It happened to some dear sisters last week. You'll go home and Satan will be like, you're an idiot. That wasn't the Lord. What were you thinking saying that? Nobody's blessed by that. Nobody believes that. Do you know what a jerk you look like? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I get it like every other Sunday after a sermon. But I've learned to stand firm against his schemes and not receive that anymore. But that's what the enemy likes to do. Anytime the Lord moves in a genuine way, Satan wants to come and mock it, confuse it, and accuse you concerning of it. I just want to make you guys aware of that as the Lord begins to give us prophetic utterances and words of knowledge. Just have your shield of faith up afterwards. Don't leave without maybe saying a prayer over each other, covering each other, covering yourself. Just know the enemy's going to try to come and just hold up the shield of faith and say, duh. And just let that be extinguished. You know what I mean? Don't let the enemy rip off some wonderful thing that the Lord is doing. And sometimes that word of knowledge might be for confrontation. There's a mom in our church and she got a word of knowledge that her son was looking at pornography online. <laughs> you hate when that's your mom and you're a teenage boy. That's just the toughest. So her teenage son is looking at pornography online. She had a word of knowledge about it. She just knew. And so, Lord, what do I do with it? And the Lord made it very clear. This is not to be in your house. That boy is my child. I don't want this in his eyes go deal with it. She went to the son and said, son, you've been looking at online porn. He said, no, I haven't, mom. You know, what does a teenage kid say? She says, yes, you have, son. He said, no, I haven't, mom. 
She said, son, the Lord told me. <laughs> and he went, okay, I did. <laughs> you know, she didn't start out with the Lord told me, but she eventually got there, which is cool. You know what I mean? The kid was tripping. But, but isn't that a cool word of knowledge? The Lord looking out for a young man? Pornography rips off the soul of a man. And so it destroys a marriage and it destroys a family. It destroys humanity. It's so destructive. And Jesus, who is a king over that young man, said, I love this young man. I don't want his life destroyed with this thing. And so told the one who on earth loves him most other than Jesus, his mom. See, Lord is so kind. Lord's not going to tell irresponsible people things like that. You hear someone who's characterized by irresponsibility claiming to have words from the Lord. I doubt it. You want to hear from the Lord, you need to be responsible. The Lord reveals his secrets to those who are his friends, the scriptures say. You need to be responsible and diligent. The Lord needs to know that he can trust you with that information. Sometimes it's prayer, sometimes it's comf- uh, uh, confrontation. Last week we had a cool word of knowledge during the afterglow. We had a word of knowledge that there was someone with a hip problem and that the Lord wanted to heal it. Now, another lady here in the congregation just told me that this just right now. She just told me before this service started that right before that word of knowledge came, she was praying that she would get the gift of healing. But she's been having this tremendous hip situation and she's not able to walk up these stairs that she's supposed to walk up all the time for these classes she takes. And she's had this horrible hip problem and she was praying right then, Lord, I want the gift of healing. I want to be able to pray for people and they get healed. And then the word of knowledge came forth. There's somebody here that's got a hip situation. The Lord wants to heal you. And right then the Lord said to her, no, why don't you go get some healing? And she went and got prayer and she just testified to me right there before the service started. My hips this week have been the best they've ever been. So that's cool, right? You know, and sometimes people try to manufacture things and, you know, there's somebody in here and, you know, your head hurts and there's probably a good chance that someone's head hurts. And I mean... You know, I don't want to scare you guys from saying anything, but, you know, here's the thing. We're going to make some mistakes together as a church, right? I'm going to make some mistakes as your pastor. (laughs) If you don't know that, you're at the wrong church, man. You should go find some other pastor. I'm going to make some mistakes as your pastor. And you're going to make some mistakes as congregants. And we're going to make some mistakes when it comes to the gifts, you know what I mean? Someone might say something silly sometime. We're not going to kill them. We're going to love them. It's going to be okay. We'll deal with it. Someone might make a mistake sometimes. Someone might just honestly think that the Lord is saying this and the Lord wasn't saying that. It's not the end of the world, but we want to grow in those things. And we just want to be careful not to attribute something to the Lord that's not from the Lord. And so that's why tonight we're really going to practice just kind of, you know, some quiet time listening learning to hear the voice of the Lord. And it sometimes takes a long time. And the way that we might receive uh, a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or prophetic utterance, sometimes it's through a vision, right? Joel 2 said that um, young men would have visions, and that's, uh, that happened in Acts at the outpouring of the Spirit. Sometimes it might happen in a dream that we get supernatural, supernatural knowledge. Sometimes it's just the voice of the Lord. Elijah didn't hear the voice of the Lord in the big wind or, or in those big things. He heard the still, small voice of the Lord. And Isaiah 30, 21 says of the Lord to his people, and your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. So you might receive knowledge through a vision or a dream or the voice of the Lord or a glimpse into the spiritual realm. Remember when Elisha's servant in 2 Kings 6, they were surrounded by the, the armies of the enemy and Elisha's servant, Gehazi, was really, really scared. And the, uh, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes to see the spiritual realm. And he, the Lord opened up his eyes in the spiritual realm and there was a heavenly host, heavenly armies surrounding all the armies of the enemy, a greater in number and in power and in mass. And so he gave this person a glimpse into the spiritual realm for just a moment and he acquired knowledge that he could not have attained through natural means. Lord might show you something in the spirit. Or you might just get an impression from God. 
an impression from God. And these things admittedly can become subjective. And I myself have made mistakes with that. And this is usually where, you know, people get off and, you know, it was something they ate. The tacos had too much pepper on the meat or something or like that. And now they think they have an impression, but it's not. But the Lord really does give us just impressions. It's usually how it works with me. Just a strong impression. You just know that you know. Lord, is that you? And what happens, it's cool over time, is you really learn to discern that voice of the Lord. And at first it's hard. It's just like anything else. And then you really, really learn to discern it. And then you just know it. And you're like, okay, Lord, that's you. It happened with Paul, the impression thing. Acts 14, 9 and 10 says this. The man was listening to Paul as he spoke. Someone's listening to Paul as he's preaching. Who, when he had fixed his gaze upon him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. It says there that Paul had seen that the man had faith to be well. How do you see someone's faith? It can also be translated, Paul perceived. The Greek word is edo. Edo. And it means, it, it implies not a mere act of seeing, but the actual perception of some object. Paul just perceived in his spirit, it was the Holy Spirit of God revealing to his spirit that that man has faith to be healed, tell him to get up and walk. There it is from the Bible, that impression. You just know it's the Lord. Other times, the word of knowledge might come straight from Scripture. I love when that happens. Someone just is led to a Scripture and they open it up and they say, this is a word of the Lord for you or for our church right now and they read it and the congregation just goes oh yes that's it so listen I've talked way longer than I expected to I'm sure you're not surprised I apologize but so do you guys want to just wait on the Lord now see what he might do and again let's practice a little bit let's try to practice being quiet before the Lord and learn to listen corporately try to practice some corporate discernment Let's be comfortable with silence. If we're just quiet for the next 20 minutes and after that I say, hey, amen, and we go home, we're going to trust the Lord did what he wanted to do. Amen? Amen. Let's ask him to do that. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd come. We thank you for instructing us in the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. And There's a few things we understand. There's much we don't understand. But we do understand this, that Jesus is ahead of the church. And that he is a king, our king, and he's a good king. And he leads his people well. And he leads us in victory and in triumph. And he gives us supernatural insight and wisdom and knowledge. And we just say together, King Jesus, we want everything that you have for us. Tune our ears to hear from the Holy Spirit. Teach us to listen. Teach us to move in the prophetic. Teach us, Lord, to wait, to linger on you, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and have your way now with your people. We wait on you.